Welcome to the Metal Pit Podcast, where we delve deep into the albums and bands that shape metal. Please visit us on our website at www.themetalpit.org, and you can find us on Facebook and Instagram at The Metal Pit, and on YouTube at The Metal Pit 666. Today, we are going to discuss the 1988 album, Injustice for All by Metallica. Today, I have with one of my fellow writers on the Metal Pit, Jason. How are you doing today, Jason? Hey, Blake. I'm doing really good. How are you? Good. I'm happy to have you on here. It's your first podcast episode with me. You popped my podcast cherry right here. (laughs) Yes. And let's see. (laughs) And who better to talk about than Metallica, I guess, on the first one. Now, this is the second episode. This is our 15th episode. And well, two of them were interviews, eh? but uh, we've had 13 albums we've done, or this will be our 13th album, I guess. Wow. Wow. And we started with Master of Puppets. Me and Georgina did Master of Puppets. That was our first one. We weren't very experienced in the thing. So we're getting better with each time, I believe. (laughs) Yeah, they seem to be uh, coming together quite nicely. I feel like you you got a system going now and it's working. Yes. Yeah. And actually, I'm going to change it up on this one. but I will leave that till the end. It's just instead of doing the top 10 songs of a band, which I've been doing, we're going to do the top 10 albums from the year that this album came out and just compare our list of our top 10 albums and see where Injustice for All fits or if it even fits in our top 10. You never know. Because uh, there's yeah, a lot of good I'm, albums that I'm year. I'm very curious about yours. So it's <laughs> going to be fun to compare. <laughs> yes and why don't you share with us or share with our listeners your experience in writing with metal media outlets over the years sure um so i started my i'm not going to call it a career but an interest in uh metal journalism so to speak um probably about geez it's been over 20 years now and <laughs> i started uh if anybody knows um brave words and bloody knuckles uh the magazine out of toronto which is now bravewords.com uh canada's biggest metal i guess magazine at the time and probably still pretty big on uh, the website there but uh yeah i just wrote one i was a big fan of meat magazine back in the day and then meat kind of turned into brave words and bloody knuckles bwbk and just on a whim i uh I emailed uh, Tim Henderson, Metal Tim Henderson, and asked if he was looking for any writers. And uh, I wasn't experienced at all. I just had an interest in writing and and a love for metal. And he said, yeah, sure, let's, let's give it a shot. So I actually started um, writing for the print magazine um, when it was still available. If you remember, you could get that magazine at uh, HMV and different uh record stores and bookstores and it was always packed with the cd uh the bloody knuckle or bloody knuckles sampler um so yeah i had quite a few um reviews and feature articles in the magazines over the years um and then transition to bravewords.com where i did that for a number of years um kim also did a lot of work on bravewords.com helped uh, get their social media presence together and did a lot of early work for their social media stuff and and just general help. So we both worked a lot on Brave Words. Mm-hmm. Um, while I was at Brave Words, I had an opportunity to, uh, I was approached by um, Metal Injection, which is probably the, well, it is the biggest metal website in the world. Um, 
and they approached me if I wanted to contribute. And so I think that was back in 2015 or 16. So I contributed a few pieces here and there while still working at Brave Words. And then I had eventually had two um, uh, semi-regular semi um, features like that would appear all the time. So I had one on Brutal Death Metal and then I had another one on Norwegian black metal, and those became quite popular on metal injection and um, and also did reviews and interviews. And then from there, uh, I guess at the same time, I also have an opportunity to work with um, Banger, Banger TV. Uh, probably everyone knows them uh, mm -hmm. through the uh, Iron Maiden movie, um, Flight 666. Uh, yes. Sam Dunn. So I worked with Sam Dunn. Uh, he invited me over and I, traveled to Toronto from home and um, worked with him on his Lockhorn series that he was doing at the time. And at one point, I think I was the most, uh, not, I was the, at that time I was, because the, I had guest hosts, I was the guest host that appeared most. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. <laughs> um, so that, uh, that was fun and uh, really enjoyed doing that. And then, um, and then with Kim, we've had many opportunities to travel to festivals around the world. We've been to Norway, France, the Netherlands, um, all over the place covering uh, metal, uh, some of the big metal fests. And, and then locally as well, uh, we did, uh, we've been to numerous shows over the past 10 years uh, covering for Brave Words and uh, all these other um sites and media outlets that i mentioned so yeah that's uh that's basically me i've been listening to metal since 19 probably 83 so uh yeah it only made sense to uh to get into journalism and now i'm happy to say i'm at the metal pit which is <laughs> awesome um always been a big fan of the metal pit uh even when doing uh working for these bigger sites uh you know the metal pit was always um something that caught my eye. So uh, it's very, uh, I'm very proud to be uh, doing work for you in the metal pit. Well, thank you. I'm very happy to have both of you with us now. Now I was actually going to ask you also, when you first got into metal, you said 1983. So what band or bands was it that got you into metal? Well, my first experience, I think the, I, I wouldn't call this metal, but my, um, my mom uh, was the first one to really get me into it by taking me to a Joan Jett concert. Now that's, mm -hmm. that's not metal, but when you're no, but yeah, you know, when you're fairly young, it's a pretty heavy rock. Yes. Uh, and then I ended up, you know, I had a huge crush on her after that and <laughs> and uh bought the album and put another dime in the jukebox, baby. You know, that's uh, uh so I, I had that really album into, too, so. did you? Yeah, yeah. And then uh I really my dad um was always a big metal head, big rock guy. You know, even when I was super young, I remember going through his album collection and and uh, being scared by his vinyl because there'd be Merciful <laughs> Fate stuff in there. And, you know, the original Killers album for Iron Maiden, I had no idea what this stuff. I was far too young. This was the late 80s, or, sorry, mm -hmm. late 70s. And, um, you know, just a few short years later, I'd be like, Dad, what is this? What is this? And <laughs> he would like, you're not quite ready for this. But then he uh, ended up, and when I was eight, ended up taking me to see... Um, Motorhead, um, mm -hmm. and I remember I, I I've told the story many many times, um, but I remember I was not prepared for it, and they came on, 
and it was so loud that I started crying. So my little ears were just being destroyed. So my dad just stood there with his hands over my ears. Um, and then slowly he would move my hands away, even though I had earplugs at the time. Like I was, I didn't go in just raw. I had mm -hmm. earplugs. My dad retrofitted me with earplugs from his work where he worked at GM, General Motors, <laughs> and it was still too loud. So by the middle of the concert, his hands were completely off my ears and I was just really digging it. And from there, that was it. I was hooked. No, I was like, uh, see, I was like 16 when I started listening to metal and then probably 18 was my first concert and that was Iron Maiden, but I'm not going to, because I've mentioned that in other episodes. So if you want to know how I got into metal, well, I'll go check back and listen yeah. to the Metallica one. The first, the Master of Puppets one is probably <laughs> yeah, into where yeah. it is. <laughs> I, I think I think I would say I didn't become a real, like where metal was playing constantly in my life till I was probably, I would say, thirteen or fourteen. Like when it was mm -hmm. just when it's just a lifestyle is uh, consumed you. That's probably when that started. Yes, and it's a lot different now of course for music and getting yeah. into music now than it was then for you sure. had to work harder to oh, listen yeah. to stuff <laughs> absolutely you had to go out and actually find stuff and yeah and pay for it, and pay for it. yeah <laughs> and sometimes yeah. you were kind of sorely disappointed you spent your money on that album <laughs> but that was the risk we took back then and i think it was a rewarding risk and yes i talked that. about that with Tom, when we did uh, the debut Iron Maiden album about, you know, you he would just, I think that's why he got that is because he saw the cover and thought, this is cool. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's usually how it starts, right? <laughs> yes. Because yeah. I know I would buy, I would see guys with long hair on the back of an album and think, well, this must be good. <laughs> yeah. And then you, you realize, oh, man, this. this yes, it's maybe not so good, but well, there was some that were good and some that weren't, but. Yeah, yeah. That's okay. <laughs> As long, so, as, you avoided uh, the, as long as you avoided the teased hair but <laughs> on the back cover. But even then, I think. Well, yeah, I even, I even had my time of listening to hair metal and yeah, stuff. Yeah, me too. And me too. Because I, I, I know David Lee Roth had an album out in 1988. And now maybe David Lee Roth's not hair metal, I guess, but he would tour yeah. with, you know, Poison and Cinderella yeah, and stuff yeah, like yeah. that. But yeah, yeah. Yeah, we won't get into the one day where I went. I dressed in all spandex and went to a concert. We won't talk about that. Oh Jesus! <laughs> I'm having no visions in my head of those spandex, and it's not a great thing. Because <laughs> I like the first two Cinderella albums, and I still do. I still like those two albums, but yeah, I didn't. I don't know why it was in my head that I wanted to wear spandex to a were concert. Were they pink? Don't tell me they were pink. I no, I I can't. I think the, the pants were like white and black, like leopard. Ah, okay. <laughs> Stripes, and the top yeah. was, I, it didn't even match, I don't think. And, <laughs> and whatever. Let's, okay, forget that. Okay. <laughs> I hope there's a man. picture kicking around. You got to share that one. <laughs> I don't think there is, because luckily right. we didn't have phones back then. <laughs> <laughs> Lucky for you, yep. So anyway, let's talk about Injustice for All. I'll give a little quick bio. I'm not going to give a bio about Metallica because I'm pretty sure most people know who they are. But this album, Injustice for All, is, of course, their fourth studio album. It was released on September 7th, 1988 by Electro Records. It was a first Metallica album, of course, with bassist Jason Newstead because, of course, uh, Cliff Burton passed away the previous tour in a bus accident. Mm-hmm. And um, 
They recorded in this album with producer Fleming Rasmussen, and it was recorded early 88 in Los Angeles. And this was their follow-up to their third album, Master of Puppets, which a lot of people think is one of the best metal albums ever. So this is, uh, they had a lot to try to keep, well, actually, I really love writing the lighting too, and I guess even Kill Em All was good too. So they had a lot to keep up with. Mm-hmm. Um, when did you... When did you first hear Metallica? Like, did you hear this album first, or did you already hear them before this album? I, I in in high school, probably grade nine, um, uh, I, I think I first heard them in shop class at some point, <laughs> and uh, it would have been probably Ride the Lightning, and mm-hmm. I wasn't. It didn't really immediately catch me then. It wasn't something that was on my radar because I was a huge Megadeth fan at the time and mm-hmm. I didn't know the drama between Metallica and Megadeth. Like I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't really familiar with Metallica. I was super into Megadeth though. Mm. And, and I, I just hadn't learned about all that drama. I didn't even know. I don't even think I knew Dave Mustaine was in Metallica at the time mm-hmm. or it was a Metallica at the point at that, some point, but yeah, my dad was a huge, huge Megadeth fan and he really got me into Megadeth and, uh, um and and then i discovered metallica like justice would probably be the first album that i truly fell in love with and Mm. played it like day in day out for months and months and months and probably bought the cassette two or three times because my walkman (laughs) it up so much that's how i listen how much i listened to it and it also probably destroyed a lot of my my hearing it's probably um i think i have a I have a lot of hearing problems and i'm pretty sure it's justice for all that did that to me but yeah uh justice would be the one my uh my uh my true love of uh all the metallic albums okay now again i'm not going to repeat my story but i did i've listened to metallica since the first album i heard hit the lights on a heavy metal radio show so i've so this is will be the fourth album that i purchased or whatever mm-hmm this so i already was deep, deeply knew everything about metallica or i mean the music wise that is not so much all the i mean i knew of course dave Mustaine because i had megadeth albums too but i wasn't too concerned about the drama i didn't yeah. care i just wanted the music <laughs> yeah yeah exactly yeah so let's talk about the songs let's see is there anything that, no yeah let's go about the songs it starts off with blackened i'll let you start the stuff talking about the song so what do you think of blackened well um, immediately what comes to mind is that, uh, that intro, because it's very ominous, right? You have that mm-hmm. backwards, uh, I believe it's a guitar and some drums, um, that they just flipped and played backwards in the studio. I, I don't think it was on purpose, but I think at some point it got flipped and then everyone was like, man, that sounds really fucking cool. And, uh, so they ended up just keeping it. So that leads into the song and, and I honestly think that Blackened is probably Metallica's heaviest. I'm not going to say fastest, but I'm going to say, in my opinion, their heaviest song. It, when I first heard that song, it just slammed me in the fucking face like nothing ever had. And I, the really cool thing about that song is that uh, it's it's a pretty simplistic riff, but the riff... They, they managed to change the riff enough in its sequencing and uh, and the way it's presented that it just sounds fresh every time you listen to it. So 
Um, and and it's the first song that uh, Jason Newstead ever wrote. And I don't think he wrote the whole thing, but he wrote the main riff. So that that uh, that main riff that everybody knows that was from Newstead. And uh, I believe him and uh, he was over at James's place in uh, in California somewhere, and they were just jamming. And he pulled that riff out. And James was like, ah, play that again, play that again. And uh, ended up I think, constructing the song in that during that jam session. For the most part, um, it went through some different iterations. And if you get the extended version of um, Justice For All, you can hear all those early tapes. Um, and the song is a bit different. It actually includes a lot of riffs from other songs on Justice. Um, so it wasn't fully fleshed out during that jam session, but the main, the core, the core idea and that core riff um were uh, were fleshed out and then everything was built around that also i think it's metallica's lyrically um it's a brilliant song because it's a, a really socially conscious song for the time i mean it just talks about uh you know the raping of earth and what humans are doing to earth and and uh it's a pretty ominous song that way as well and i don't know if a lot of people a lot of bands were were singing about you know socially conscious topics at that time in quite the same way uh it's pretty pretty uh clear cut uh lyrically what uh, what the hell it is they're talking about um and uh it's a really dark song both musically and lyrically and i think it's it's the perfect song to set the mood for the rest of the album yes and the 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 lyrics uh could be still relevant today with the state of the environment which is for kind sure. of what the song is about and yeah um, it's one of my favorites on the album. And I remember me and my wife rented a house somewhere. Like, and I remember, because it must have been right at the time that this album came out, because we went into the house, the house was empty. I brought in my tape player and I played Black and was the first song I played in that house. <laughs> nice. nice. <laughs> you christened the house with Black and. So, yes, because there was nothing else. There was no furniture or anything. I just remember being in there and yeah, I put that tape on. <laughs> well, I, you know, I remember because I'm going to compare this to what I was listening to previously. Um, before I got Justice, again, I was listening to Megadeth, So Far, So Good, So What was probably the main one. And what really struck me about, you know, Justice, uh, first hearing Black, and it's just how fucking heavy the, the guitars are on that album. And, like, I know there's a lot of, uh, you know, all the talk about there not being any bass, but... Uh, it really is a sonically different album than anything any metal band has done before. And I think to me, it's what stands out to me the most about that album. It's just like how crushing it is, how like, I don't know how, just the 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 tone of the album where the gar guitars and drums were deliberately compressed to give it like this vis vicious, massively crushing sound. And uh, I just, to be perfectly honest, I don't think there's an album that sounds like it. Not before, not after. It really is wholly, wholly unique in this way. And a lot of people either love the sound or they hate it. And it <laughs> seems to be like a pretty uh, polarizing um, polarizing opinions out there, the the, uh, the sound quality of Justice. Would you agree with that? that well, I know reading like researching for this podcast, I know every like thing I read was like, you can't hear the bass or whatever. <laughs> 
And I don't, at the time back then, I don't even think I paid attention because I probably, I wasn't really in, I had a guitar. I don't know if I even had a guitar yet then. So I wasn't like in music or anything. So I probably didn't even notice. I know I liked the songs and I know the lyrics are a lot more, they were getting a lot more deeper in their lyrics than they were the first three albums. They were getting more in depth with their lyrics. And like you said, the social issues and stuff. Yeah. I think when I like, justice was my first album but then you know i got into metallica after and master puppets would have been the next album i got into after justice and what i what i had always what i always think about justice is that it's after listening to master that it they just they just took everything that they had in master and dialed it up in frequency like i mean um as far as the heaviness the tone of the album like you said uh, the lyrics uh, just the bleakness of the album where where master i don't consider it a bleak album and mm-hmm. i also don't consider it an uplifting album it's just a really fucking solid metal album it doesn't really it doesn't really kind of pull any emotions either way like that for me it's just a really solid collection of songs on master but on justice it really is bleak and like it really for me anyways it that's what really appealed to me. Like it, when I listen to it, it puts me in this, this zone, in this state of mind, and it, it sucks me in. And mm-hmm. it, and it, it's not necessarily the songs themselves that do that. I think it's the just the overall sound of the al- album, the approach that they went with the album. There's just something, something that really pulls you in to it. And I've heard the guys say before, uh, talking about Justice, the, the Metallica guys saying that those songs they don't play them a lot and even when they were rehearsing them and and you know early on for the album and when they would when they were on the justice tour actually it was newstead i heard say this he said that those songs on just actually become a part of you like in order to play them you have to give it they they literally they literally become part of your being like no other metallica song did for him and he said it and i i think it's what it expresses what I'm talking about. Like, uh, it's just that it, it sucks you in in this way that maybe Master or Kill 'Em All doesn't necessarily do. All great albums, obviously, um, but just something about Justice that, that uh, is a bit different that way. Well, I wonder if the bleakness might be also caused since they lost their friend there in Cliff Burton. Oh, yeah. So that might have like affected their lyrics too, yeah, maybe. And they talked about it. I yeah. think. I, I think you're right. I think they went into this album writing of this album in a very uh vulnerable state mentally and yes. uh i think absolutely the uh the, the sound quality has a lot to do with that um i don't know if you knew this but uh just is it okay if i bring up a quick point about the sure. album, yes. um, about the recording the album they actually as you mentioned at the top they recorded with fleming rasmussen who did um uh, master of puppets and ride the lightning prior um but before they got fleming for this they actually tried to get mike mike clink who recorded um he was a sound engineer producer for uh uh, guns and roses appetite for destruction because Mm -hmm. lars loved that album he loved he loved how raw and how much energy there was on that album and he wanted to kind of get that rawness and energy for justice and so they brought him in and they recorded a couple of songs with him and James was not having it. He was just like, no man, this, this guitar, I, I, he didn't even like 
Guns N' Roses at the time and hated <laughs> Appetite for Destruction. And so he was kind of against it the whole time, but Lars being Lars uh, had his way. And so they tried it out. And uh, he was like, the tone of the album just sounded like shit. his guitar tone. He was like, there's no fucking way I'm not on board with this. We're not doing it this way. Um, so yeah, Fleming, they ended up calling Fleming and he was able to do it. So thank God, because, you know, I don't necessarily um, ever want to hear justice with the guitar tone of Appetite for Destruction because it would probably ruin it for me. I'm sure it's on YouTube somewhere. Somebody's probably fucked with it in a way that <laughs> that uh, you could probably hear it like that. But um, no, it wouldn't have been the same album. Yes, and actually, I got a, I checked out the set list, FM or whatever. So I have some notes about every song you mentioned about them not playing many of these songs live. So that's why I did this. <laughs> so Blackened yeah. has been played 526 times live, which is one of the higher ones on the album. Yep. yep. But there's a lot of long songs on here. Like and you're, if Justice. you were to compare that to Master of Puppets, which has probably been played 20,000 times, right? Like <laughs> oh, I did. Yeah, I didn't look that up. But yeah. well, one like one is a pretty good one. It's 1569 times. So wow. a 1000 times more. Yeah. <laughs> for one. And that's probably one of their biggest songs ever. And that's but what about, about a song like Injustice for All the actual title track probably? Well, yes, yeah, so I was just gonna bring that up. This one is uh, like almost 10 minutes long. This would probably be my least favorite song on this album. Probably yeah. even though I don't mind long songs. I listen to like groups like Dream Theater that have 15 and 20 minute songs. Yeah, but this one just seems to drag on a little bit for me. Probably the only one that I would say is my least favorite on this album. It, it is the second song, right? Yes, it is the second. Okay. Song. So, so we segued. This is good. <laughs> yes, sir. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I would and agree with you. This, I, this I, one I has been play, only played. Wait, where did I see? Sorry, I wrote down here. Um, it has been played. Oh, it's hardly after that tour. It's hardly been played live. I don't remember the exact thing, but it's been played live 279 times. So, wow. like half as much as even Black has been played. Yeah. Yeah. And I saw a quote from Kirk Hammond saying that they would play it. They'd be seven minutes in it and they'd see all these bored people in the front row. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And they say, yeah. we're never playing the song live again or something like that. So <laughs> I, I would agree with you. I think it's probably, I really enjoyed the song, but I think it could have been cut down by two or three minutes. I think it, yes. it goes on a lot. Um, what What's really interesting to me about that song and what I love about that song is actually uh, my favorite thing about the song is Lars's performance on that because if you listen to that song, it, it's it is a really for for Metallica, it was probably their most technically proficient song they ever had done up to that mm -hmm. point, and it really shows in their chops. Like I think a Justice for All in general just shows, even from Master of Puppets, it shows how good they became with their chops. Yes, and their songwriting, like they really amped up the technical, their technical prowess quite a bit for and justice for all, not quite a bit, like tenfold, um, and you can hear it in the song. And there's a lot of changes and a lot. I I think, to be perfectly honest, I know in the early eight, or sorry, in the late '80s, I know Metallica was paying attention while they were recording Justice or writing for it. At least they were paying attention to what everyone else was doing what the other bands were doing, what Slayer was doing, what Megadeth was doing. Um, they just wanted to know what the hell was going on. And mm -hmm. I think that um, that uh, that focus on what other bands were doing um, led them to want to do something even more technically challenging than Slayer or Megadeth or 
Um, I've heard uh, Lars say, you know, they were really into Satriani and really into, uh, you know, the shredders at the time. And they wanted to prove that Metallica, you know, could hold their own against all these bands that are faster than them and maybe more technical. And 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 they, they really made a, an effort to do that. And this is one song where uh, that shines. Um, but yeah, like you said, it drags on quite a bit. And uh, I think it would have been more of a punch at five minutes, you know, right at yeah. five minutes, end it there. And it would have been a great song live. Well, I think since they kind of like, they pretty much, I don't know, they invented it, but they were, they had like the first thrash album, I guess there was Kill Em All. And then all these bands just came after. And I don't think they wanted to sound like everybody else, right? So they mm-hmm. tried to improve and that's why the songs are a little bit longer on this one, even though they do say they don't like that part of it now, but still. <laughs> well, here's a question for you though. This is, this, I'm kind of interested in this, your perspective, because again, as, as, as we mentioned earlier, I got into Metallica with Justice, but you being there since Kill Em All and through every album, what was your honest, just honest opinion of Justice when you first heard it? Like, you know, it probably like, what was your first reaction, gut reaction? Well, my first reaction, like, now, of course, I'm, we're going back to 1988. <laughs> yeah. But I remember I listened to it. You didn't throw it out the window? It. Pardon? You didn't throw it out of the window of the car? Uh, no, no, no. Okay. Not at all. <laughs> no, I loved it. I loved it. I'm sure, I mean, I played it to death when I first got it, too. I mean, but Metallica, like, they became, like, Iron Maiden was the first band that I listened to that really got me into heavy metal. So that would be my favorite band. But then when I heard Kill Em All, Metallica kind of became my favorite band. Yeah. And I don't go these people that say they sold out when they did one or whatever, even though one is sounds similar to Sanitarium off Master and yeah. Fade to Black on Ride the Lightning. So really, if you're going to say they sold out, they sold out on Ride the Lightning Absolutely. just because they have well, half a ballad in the yeah. album. Yeah, that's right. I, I, so I, I never mean, jumped I, on that thing. Like, it's still, like you say, it's still heavy. It's maybe not as fast as the earlier stuff, but it's still really heavy. And, the, yeah, the solos are getting better and everything better. I mean, you can't hear the bass, I guess. But, again, I didn't notice that back you then. You know what? I, <laughs> I wanted to make this point about the bass when you brought it up earlier. Sorry to interrupt. But uh just quickly put it out there. I, I think a lot of people didn't miss the bass because – until later on, until it became a thing over the past 10 years. But yes. I, I don't remember back then everyone really being like, oh my God, where's the fucking bass on this album? Yeah, I that's something, I was going to say that too, actually. Yeah, because there's so much bottom end in yes. just the tone and the drums and like that you don't really, so much bottom end to begin with that it, you know, a, a, a clangy bass might might have sounded a bit weird on top of that, you know? <laughs> Like, I, I don't even know, like, I, I don't, I've listened to the And Justice for Jason remix of the album that fans have done that's on YouTube, just to see what it would sound like with bass. And it, it uh-huh. sounds good, but it, there's something, it's, it takes something away. The bass there just, to me, it, it's distracting. And mm-hmm. maybe that's because I've listened to the album the way it is, the, yeah. I haven't listened to it for the past 30 years. That when suddenly there's a bass in there, you're just like, this doesn't sound right, you know? But yeah, I just want to make the point that there's so much bottom end to that album that, um, you know, the bass was not there, but technically it was bass heavy. Yes, and I don't, I don't think the 
controversy. I don't know if it's really controversy, but the bass really came until after the St. Anger album, since mm. <laughs> that sound was so bad, I guess, or whatever. Unbelievable, yeah. And so then I think people started nitpicking, and you know, and they also made a few albums, Load and Reload, and the Black album, where they lost some certain fans, diehard fans, yep, whatever. So I think that's when the complaints really started. Is people going back saying, oh, yeah, you can't hear the bass on this album. But at the time, I didn't notice anything. And I played it to death and loved it. And it's whatever we, yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. So it didn't make, like, it wasn't, I mean, I might rank my metallic albums now and say, I like, Ride the Lightning and then Master and then probably Justice would be next. Yeah. But yeah. it's better than any of the re recent, whatever, four or five studio albums oh, yeah. or whatever. Night and, day. and it's probably the, better than Kill Em All, I think, too. The reason course, I asked that's about understandable. The, they were 19 years old or whatever when they did that album. Yeah, and that's the reason I kind of wanted to ask you about that, because the, the difference between Kill Em All, the huge leap between what's Kill Em All and Justice. Yeah. Like, the, like, it's an unbelievable leap. Like, it's just, it's fathomly different, you know? And uh, I, I, I always wondered what an old school Metallica fan... <laughs> thought about yeah well yeah i'm not one of those ones even the albums that i didn't like i still like metallica so i wasn't one of those people that you know abandoned them and hated them and all that kind of stuff so you know from my point of view again i still listen to this album to death when it came out yeah and we'll, we'll see where it ranks in my top 10 if it made it i shouldn't spoil anything but anyway let's yeah. get on to eye of the beholder now this one i'll mention right off the bat it's only been played 132 times live what? even though it's one of my favorites on the album i love the way it opens like the that slow da -da 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 gradual opening thing yeah that fade in that riff is fucking awesome that riff is iconic i can't believe it's only played that Wow, that's a shocking statistic to me. <laughs> well, there's even some more shocking ones in later songs, but we'll get wow. to that. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Um, so what what did you like about the song? Well, this is, is also this is the second single from the album, so it is kind of odd that when, the second single you only played 132 times live. I don't understand that. But yeah, I like the song. I don't really have a lot of written about it except. I know it is it is one of my favorite ones on the album actually. Yeah, I would agree. I, I think it's uh I think unlike the song, the title track, it, it's technical, mm -hmm. it's catchy, it, like that 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 opening riff, it just brings you in. There's nothing else really going on other than guitar and drums, and then mm -hmm. suddenly they hit that one riff that that's uh I don't know what it's almost like um almost got like a swingy feel to it it's just really catchy and uh it stays that way for quite a while in the song and then through the middle of the song it gets a little weird um they go off on some tangents but they it always seems to come back to that main riff and uh yeah i really i really think it's uh one of the better songs on the album and i think it was actually in uh placed as a third track it was a really good spot for it um mm -hmm. you know I'm I'm not going to say the best Metallica song ever. Um, mm -hmm. I, I like the song. I don't dislike the song. Uh, you know, it's uh, Hetfield's vocals during the chorus of the song. It sounds like he's really given her. Like I think it's one of the songs where he really lets loose. Um, what one thing I don't like about the song, and I don't know if 
maybe maybe you noticed this, maybe you didn't um, when listening to it, but there's a slight vocal effect on James's voice in that song for parts of the song. It's almost like uh, he's singing through some superficial vocal order um, and, and it makes it sound a little mechanical. And I think they were just doing that for maybe some sort of extra ambience in the song. Mm -hmm. um, and I, I think it could have done without that because they use it, then they take it away, then it comes back and it, it sounds a little robotic. Um, but I think it, you know, over time, I've gotten to like that effect more because I think it adds to what we were talking about earlier to the, um, to the uh, kind of the, the foreboding sound of the album, the, uh, um, I, I guess, for lack of a better term, how depressive the album is. It, really mm -hmm. kind of kind of adds to that so yeah it's uh got some of the heavier rhythms on the song uh that are on the album not too fast not too slow just kind of gets the song done in a, a mid-paced sort of way and uh yeah i think it's a solid song for a third track and actually <clears throat> a note i forgot to mention about playing it live it says they haven't played it in its entirety since 1989 wow <laughs> but they play it like in a medley sometimes they'll put part of it in a medley but yeah they i don't know what they I mean, they must not like yeah. the song. maybe it's because of that vocal thing you're talking about and they don't want to do that live or something i don't know maybe that's well, i heard when i was researching for this uh i watched an interview and i kirk said something that interested me he said that a lot of the songs on this album um even when they were playing them live at the time they would just get lost because uh it and and it was that it's it's fine to get lost in a song when you're playing live it happens out to almost every musician but usually if you get lost in a song on stage you can catch up pretty easily like you can be like you know a couple of a couple one bar later a couple bars later jump in and and know where you're at but with the songs and justice kirk was saying it was really impossible to do that so if you weren't really paying attention you got lost you'd be like fuck what's next because you would forget <laughs> Because there were just so many riffs, like it is the Metallica album that is uh, just a the one album that's just it's like they almost try to fit every single riff they can think of into the song and make it work, and uh, you know for the most part it did work, but it also is a very which is also what makes it very uh, technical in nature. So uh, Kirk was saying I think they don't play them a lot anymore because um, because of stuff like that yes uh oh and and i was gonna say isn't i a beholder you mentioned it was the first single on the was bread fan not the uh i the beholder was the second single and bread fan was the the uh um, oh, b-side the b-side yeah. yeah yes i think i did read that yes and uh interesting note about bread fan i really loved that single i, I had it. it had really cool artwork I can't remember what the artwork was, but I remember buying, you know, when you used to buy cassette singles, they'd come in a cardboard sleeve mm -hmm. um, and it had cool artwork, but uh, I had never heard Breadfan before that. But interesting note that uh, Breadfan was actually recorded during the Justice Sessions, but with Mike Klink. So what you're hearing, um, it might it might not be the entire song of Breadfan that was produced by Mike Klink, but I know the drums were absolutely produced by Mike Klink. Um, so you get a bit of taste on um, Breadfan of what Justice might have sounded like had Clink produced the whole album. Mm. 
Now, was uh, Brad Fan on Garage Days re revisited? Yeah, it was. Yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. Okay. And that came out before this, right? I believe. Yeah, I, I think, think it, it did. Yeah, because it said I read that Jason played on that before he played on this. Yeah. So they they yeah. recorded they recorded Justice and don't quote me on this, but they were both the, the B sides and Justice were recorded i think around the same time just different sessions yeah but they were all kind of part of the same session the larger session of justice i should say yes. which which spawned uh songs for the the ep yeah and then we go to one which is probably one of their most recognizable songs and i already said it's been played over 1500 times live which is the almost twice as much longer than any other song on this album and, and of course that's also song. the first video they ever made yep yeah and of course the song is about war and about a guy that lost his arms and legs during war and you know hair metal is a big thing of course back in this time and all the videos on mtv or much music in canada had you know girls on the videos but metallica certainly didn't go that way <laughs> yeah with their first video yeah no <laughs> or any video I think, after i suppose well i think that was they wanted that video they didn't they never wanted to do the video yeah and uh i don't know if they were forced to but i think it was just part of the times to do a video and they wanted i think their management wanted them to take things to the next step and they're like okay if we do this video we're doing it our fucking way and mm -hmm. you know we don't give a shit if it gets played on mtv we're just going to do this thing our way and as for those that have watched the video, it absolutely goes in hand in hand with the bleakness that I was talking about of this album. Like mm -hmm. that's one fucking bleak video. And <laughs> even to this day, like I'll watch reactions on YouTube of like, you know, one of the, I think, I think one is one of the probably most reacted to songs for non metalheads. And I love watching non metalheads like rappers <laughs> watch that video and react to the song in the video. And some of them come out of it in tears man and like blown away some of them don't even finish watching it because they're like they're they're just like this is this is just so fucking bleak and dark and really hard to watch and and then you have other people um who are non-metalheads that do these reactions that fall in love with metallica because of that song and in that video so mm -hmm. it's i think it's to me it's a song that changed thrash Mm -hmm. I, I would say it's the one song that changed thrash at that time um because i think a lot of bands afterwards um you know really took the success of that song and not necessarily copied it but somehow emulated it and i think every thrash album had its own one after yeah. that yeah I know. I don't. I'm pretty sure Testament didn't have a ballad until no. they saw this, and then they had and then their they ballad did the ballad. The ballad, yeah, yeah. <laughs> which is good too because I like Testament. <laughs> yeah, and it was a great song, you know. But yeah, and, you know, it's 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 not it's not the most uplifting video you'll ever see, but that's Metallica, right? And I'm glad they did it that way because uh, it does. Um, it does really have a an emotional impact and if you really and even the it, even the live shots of metallica in the video are in black and white yeah 
also yeah. like they didn't even want to be shown in color or whatever no. they wanted it all to be like bleak and since it is a dark song obviously yeah and those those shots I, i've seen the the video without the clips of johnny's got his gun the movie that they used the clips in there i've seen just the performance video before and they could have just used that it wouldn't have had the same impact obviously but man like they're fucking the performance in that like just the way james just attacks his guitar and that and the, the looks and the, the sneers and the way jason headbangs and that and like just the way they all four of them present themselves in that performance video is just it's fucking awesome like it just it just really amps up the, uh, I think the uh, the tone of the song. Now, like I mentioned before, about how one is similar to like Welcome Home Sanitarium on the Master album, and Fade to Black on Ride the Lightning. But you said Injustice for All was really the first Metallic album you heard, um, like the full album that is. Yeah. So would it have been any different if you would have heard Ride the Lightning first and heard Fade to Black before you heard one? Like, You know, I never considered... Maybe it's because I wasn't... I wasn't, at the time, I wasn't uh, schooled in the, the evils of the ballad, per uh -huh. se. So I never thought of one as a ballad um, mm -hmm. at all. Like, I don't even think it qualifies as a ballad. Like, do the, do people actually call it a ballad? Is it well, referred to that way? I guess not. I guess it would be a semi-ballad, I guess they would say, since it just starts off slow and yeah, whatever. Yeah. But so did the other two also that I mentioned, and they both pick up the speed and aggression in those yeah. two. I think you're right. Like, okay, so, you know, hearing one first and then hearing Matt, um, sorry, hearing a uh, sanitarium after, after hearing, uh, once I got into master puppets, I, I think one is obviously very similar in, um, in, uh, in the way it was, uh, composed. Um, yes. it has all the similar parts. I think the difference is the huge difference is that, uh, that breakdown, I think that breakdown, the machine gun breakdown, Mm -hmm. really fucking hammered home i really i think did something to people who listened to that part i think it like you you know what i remember playing that song for my parents you know my mom whatever my cousin who didn't listen to metallica you know he was a warrant fan and <laughs> uh and i remember being in his car one summer and i had justice for all and i'm like you got to hear this song one you're gonna love it I know you like hair metal, but just give it a chance. <laughs> and all he wanted to do, you know, for the whole summer, he would just rewind it to that fucking part every time. <laughs> you know, like he just loved that part. And, uh, you know, I think a lot of people who maybe weren't into metal necessarily could, I don't know, not necessarily relate to that part, but got some sort of visceral reaction out of that part. I think it was brilliant for the band to add that part to the song and it it really is like i think the focal point of that song what do you think you think that's a yes yes definitely yeah i mean the solo is fucking incredible too after that part like yes. wow kirk just solos for i think four or five minutes straight after that and it's it unbelievable the shredding in that song 
Yes, I wouldn't consider it a ballad, but I think the people that started to, I think it was probably once the Black Album came out and they changed and then people would go back and say, oh, I hate, like, you know, they sold out when they did this song because, you know, they made a video, which everybody does, but (laughs) they said they would never make a video and then they did and whatever. I I guess it's the same way as, you know, me. Uh, My experience with, with that would have been like, I love Justice. I didn't love the next album mm-hmm. and I, I, I appreciate the album now and I can get into the black album because I can hear, you know, at the time I was like, what the fuck is this garbage? What is this shit? <laughs> but you know, with a more open mind and being older and being able to, uh, you know, pick up on nuances uh, a bit more and not be so judgmental and critical as my immediate response I can I I then went back to the black album and I can pick out things that I'm like yeah this is very similar this could be on justice like there are parts of uh, the black album that are very reminiscent of justice and I yeah. don't know if it's I don't know if it's again going back to the tone or the bleakness because you know the unforgiven is a really fucking bleak song and I think that's a song that could have worked well even on justice um if one wasn't there the unforgiven might have been if you think about the unforgiven with the the injustice for all tone it mm-hmm. probably could have slotted in there pretty good yeah and one side side since i you were much talked about the black album i was just going to mention uh i watched uh a documentary about horror movies and heavy metal and Kane hodder who played jason in many of the friday the 13th said he used to listen to Enter Sandman before he would go and kill people. And that's funny. I said, what? Enter Sandman? <laughs> <laughs> Why wouldn't you pick a heavier song than Enter Sandman? Not that I don't yeah. like Sandman, but... <laughs> that one's a that one's a bit too upbeat to... Uh... <laughs> I thought yeah. he would have said Blackened or whatever. Yeah, right? yeah. Anyway. Or, or Dyer's Eve, uh, the most vicious <laughs> song on... Uh, yeah. On, uh, on Justice, but... 